Welcome to another episode of the It's Not Brain Surgery podcast. This is the AANS Practice and Business Management Podcast. I'm your host for today's episode, Paul Camerata, and I'm really excited to be interviewing someone for our teaching and learning series with the topic in the lab, uh, Professor Chathan Betagauda from Johns Hopkins. Dr. Betagauda is currently the uh, Jenison and Novak Families Professor of Neurosurgery and Oncology and the Vice Chair for Research in the Department of Neurosurgery at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. His clinical focus is on the surgical management of brain tumors, and he directs uh, uh, the Metastatic Brain Tumor Center, the Meningioma Center, and he also uh, works on trigeminal neuralgia. He directs the Reza Khatib Brain Tumor Center and the Physician Scientist Training Program at Johns Hopkins. As the medical director of the Ludwig Center for Cancer Genetics and Therapeutics, his laboratory efforts have focused on the application of cell-free tumor-derived DNA for the early detection and monitoring of a myriad of cancers. Uh, his research has been funded by the Burroughs Welcome Career Award for Medical Scientists, Doris Duke Clinician Scientist Award, the DOD, and the NCI. He's been recognized also with numerous awards, being named the uh, 2022 William Baumgartner Johns Hopkins Physician of the Year. Uh, Dr. Betagalda is widely published with over 250 articles, including articles in such journals as Science, Science Translational Medicine, Nature Genetics, Nature Communication, Cell Reports Medicine, and the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. It's really my honor to uh, present to you today, Dr. Chathan Betagalda. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Dr. Kamrad. It's uh, wonderful to be here and a true pleasure to do it with you. So really uh, appreciative of the opportunity. Well, thanks. You've got a lot to teach us, I'm sure, especially the younger uh, residents and young staff. So tell us a little bit about, we, we covered a little bit in the intro. What do you do in your lab? Yeah, very kind introduction. And thank you for that. Our laboratory is really focused on harnessing our understanding of cancer genetics for translational benefit. Really, how do we help individuals with brain and other forms of cancer with this ever-burgeoning understanding of the genetic alterations that drive and create the cancer cells? And so what we're focused on really is this whole field of liquid biopsies, which is the idea mm -hmm. that we can understand what's happening in cancers without directly interrogating, biopsying, resecting the tumor tissue. And we do this by studying molecules that cancer cells may distribute or shed into ancillary biofluids, whether it's the bloodstream, urine, cerebrospinal fluid. And so this has been a really exciting area for our group to be involved in, and we think in a, a potentially important way to make a clinical impact. Well, this is huge. I mean, someday you could imagine, you know, maybe I'm misspeaking here, but going into your doctor to monitor your glioblastoma recurrence by uh, peeing in a jar or, or having <laughs> some CSF or something like that to determine whether the tumor is coming back rather than getting an MRI every two months or something like that. Absolutely. That's the goal is to arm clinicians and patients and their families with more tools. You know, right now mm -hmm. we're really have a few tools in our armamentarium, MRI scans, clinical exam, but that's about it. And so can we add to that toolbox other ways of understanding what's happening that might be less cumbersome, less expensive, and more easily repeated while giving us biological information that's different and distinct from what an MRI scan or an imaging study might be able to provide. 
Well, that is huge. Did you ever see yourself doing something like this when you were a resident, or did you start out with that kind of as a goal and then neurosurgery residency uh, in the middle of it? Yeah, no, this has all sort of evolved over time, Paul. You know, I had no idea that this would be what I would eventually work on. My PhD was in experimental therapeutics, and my postdoctoral fellowship uh, during residency was more on sort of cancer sequencing. But, you know, really gets back to trying to understand how to make an impact. As, as neurosurgeons, that's really, I think, where most of our focus and energies is on the investigative side is not just for the discovery, but how do you take an understanding of the biological process and apply it to help our patients? Yeah. And one of the things that I'm sure, Paul, you have in, in your hospital that we have that's really frustrated me over the years and helped me launch into this line of investigations, we have tumor board every Monday at 7.30. Yep, same time. <laughs> every Monday at 7.30, you know what the first case is. It's a patient with a malignant glioma, had chemo and radiation, and there's changes on the MRI scan. And is this tumor progression or is this right. pseudoprogression? And it's been the same discussion year after year, patient after patient. And this is just one type of question that's frustrated me. Other was, you know, these deep pseudo tumors where we do these needle biopsies. No one wants to do them and they're high risk. You just get enough to get a diagnosis and say, gosh, can't we do something a little better to obviate these brainstem biopsies or, you know, deep seated tumor biopsies? So, these were the types of questions that really bothered me as a resident, as a junior faculty member. And as the technology evolved, I was just fortunate to be part of a great team and, and to participate in this type of work. Well, that's fantastic. So tell us a little bit about what your residents do. Is there a, a, a myriad of tracks or do they all spend X amount of time in the lab? And, and so how do you take them through this? Yeah, no, I, I think that's a really key aspect of our training program is that all our residents have two years of fully protected elective time. Wow. And they can uh, sequence this and do what they wish with these two years. They are traditionally in the fifth and sixth years of residency. But some of our residents, actually many these days, want to do enfolded fellowships. Sure. So sometimes yeah. they'll spend time in the lab. Sometimes they'll do their chief year early so they can qualify for a CAST-approved fellowship during their PGY-7 years. And some do it the traditional way, which is what I did as a resident, and, and spend both the fifth and sixth years in the laboratory doing dedicated research. And so it's a highly variable path that fortunately each individual gets to make a choice about uh, which direction they want to go. So let's say a resident of PGY2, you know, is thinking of being a Dr. Betagauda someday, and he or she wants to spend a couple of years in the lab. How do you help them prepare for that as a PGY2, for instance? Yeah, no, great question. And I do encourage all our residents, no matter what they think their career path is going to take, to really jot down ideas or problems that really think need to be addressed. And this doesn't have to be in the laboratory. It can be clinical outcomes. It can be surgical innovation. It can be health systems improvement. It can be patient safety. Whatever it is mm -hmm. that you're super passionate about that you think we don't do a good enough job today in your own institution, your own practice and experience. And that can be done as an intern. It can even be done as a student. Sure. And so to try to keep a log of what you're interested in. And, and as a resident, quite frankly, it's hard to find the time to address these. But as you go through the years, you start to think about ways that you can make an impact, ways you can improve. And so what we do, and I have the good fortune of meeting with all our residents really as PGY2s and 
just have exploratory conversations about what excites them, what types of things they want to do in their career to make an impact, and then meet with them again as PGY3s. And then PGY4 really try to establish a game plan for how are they going to use their elective time, their last three years of residency to really get the biggest bang for their buck and try to sort of direct them to appropriate mentors or opportunities. And if they're interested in the research types of opportunities that I'm involved in, try to say, okay, what types of questions you want to study? What types of skill sets? Where do you see your research going in? The beauty of our residency is that our learners don't need to work with faculty within our department. You know, we're part of a wonderful institution and they can go well outside of the department and gain the skill sets. So try to pair them with research mentors and also help them get involved with the early grant writing opportunities, get involved with lab meetings before their formal research time so they can hit the ground running but it truly is an individualized uh, dialogue with each of the residents to get them to the sort of the environment that's going to be most meaningful for their success. So for the residents, what would they or what should they expect from their teachers or from those directing them? Uh, you mentioned some of it just now. Anything else to strike your mind? Yeah, definitely. I think that the mentor-mentee relationship is one of the greatest responsibilities we have as neurosurgeons. And really, I think there's certain fundamental, I think, obligations a mentor would have. And then number one, to support and enable the learning and career of the mentee in a way that's not just self-directed for the mentor's benefit, but ideally right. to allow the mentee to establish and reach the goals that they have for themselves. And so I think this is built on honest conversations, openness, and uh, a sense of freedom of exploration, which I think is one of the beautiful things about science and research is, is that creativity. And I think it's also important to have a pathway that allows residents to show an accumulation of body of work in the lab, similar to building up a clinical repertoire and skill set that they have in the, in the surgical arena, in the clinical arena, and allow them to hopefully have a body of work that they can take claim to move on as their own in their own careers and build upon if that's what they wish to do. And so I think for folks working with us in the research realm, we do try to carve out projects that they can take on into their own careers and push forward in ways that they find exciting once they graduate from the program. Yeah, that's huge. And I think that you know, what I take from that is the lab mentors shouldn't necessarily just look at residences as one of their assistants. You talk to the resident, figure out what they want to do and help them sort of navigate the process. Correct, correct. You know, residency has a lot of service-related aspects, service to patients, service to the department and others. And we really feel like this elective time, particularly in the laboratories, an opportunity to sort of maybe shift that paradigm and say that we as mentors have a bit of a service obligation to you as someone in the lab to help uh, fulfill your scientific and creative obligations and interests. By now, you must have seen some of your residents go on to pretty spectacular careers or, or at least a start of an investigative career. Absolutely. And I think that's some of the most rewarding aspects of being in academic medicine. And sometimes it's residents who initially came in thinking they would never do laboratory-based yeah. work, investigations, and thought they would be full-time clinical neurosurgeons, which would have been great. But then uh, a spark is uh, ignited and, and they really push it forward and they get NIH funding early on and they do beautiful work and they launch their own laboratory and are really the paradigmatic surgeon scientists or clinician scientists in their own careers. And so 
Uh, we've been fortunate to have some stay at Hopkins and many have gone on to do incredible work at other institutions. And so just following them, uh, I think, has been one of the most rewarding aspects of, of my professional career. Although I'm not a basic scientist, I did spend two years in the lab, protected time in the lab during my residency. And I, I really have a strong belief that all neurosurgery residents need some time investigating in the lab, hanging around uh, alongside a basic scientist just to see to see what happens, how these sorts of investigations and discoveries are made. I mean, it's fairly ephemeral if you haven't been there seeing the nitty gritty and, and you know, performing the, the Western blots and things like that by yourself. Without being there, it's hard to imagine. And then it would be hard to make the, the kinds of progress that you're talking about, not knowing how the work is actually done. No, I think that's well said, Paul. I share that same sort of perspective. And I think it's important because we as neurosurgeons have insights into neurological disorders and, and health that really no other medical specialties right. have insights into. And this is in no way to disrespect other fields, but what we do is so unique and so privileged that if we as neurosurgeons don't take the lead in yeah. initiating these discoveries and these scientific investigations, and it doesn't mean that we have to be the ones at the lab, but we can collaborate with the basic scientists or the translational scientists. Sure. And they my experience, love to work with us because we bring this unique perspective that's so different from any other clinical specialty. And so I do think that having these residents get exposure to the way science is done enables them to at least be extraordinary collaborators of science, if not enablers of their own scientific work. Yeah, we know the questions, the clinical questions. And, you know, like Absolutely. you said, it's, it's something that you see on, I see on a weekly basis, you know, what is this we're looking at? Isn't there a way we could more easily figure out what to do? So do you have any tips for teachers in the lab for young faculty or mid-career faculty that are leading residents along this path? Yeah. You know, I, I think the biggest piece of advice I'd have is to continue to remember what it was like to be early in your career. So have a lot of patience and understanding and really latitude to allow our residents to explore what they're interested in scientifically, because I think that sort of freedom allows them to gain skill sets, allows them to succeed, but also fail, learn from those failures. And so I, I think definitely allowing greater autonomy and freedom, I think is something that I've really found to be a rewarding sort of trait as, as we mentor our residents through the laboratory experience. One last question. If you had a crystal ball what would you say, how long is it going to take before we can do a, a liquid brain biopsy to help us out in our tumor boards? Yeah, that's a great question, Paul. I'm hoping 12 months or less. That's wow. my prediction. That is huge. 2024, I'm hoping that there'll be something in the well, Congratulations and spectacular work that you've done. And again, another last question, Ravens or Orioles? <laughs> I got to go Ravens, you know, we made yeah. the playoffs with the Orioles this year, but uh, they've been struggling for so long. It's, it's tough. It's it tough. Is so tough. I was hoping the Orioles were going to do it. I really, I was literally going to fly back. If they made it a few more uh, games deep into the playoffs. Absolutely. Hopefully next year will be a better year for us. You bet. All right. Thanks so much for being here, Jason. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Paul. Always a pleasure to see you. And thanks so much for the opportunity. You bet. Dr. Chathan Benegauda from Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine was our guest today on the It's Not Brain Surgery podcast. Stay tuned next week for another exciting episode. Thanks.
Yeah, no, great question. And, and I, I, I do encourage all our residents, no matter what they think their career path is going to take, to really jot down ideas or problems that really think need to be addressed. And this doesn't have to be in the laboratory. It can be clinical outcomes. It can be surgical innovation. It can be health systems improvement. It can be patient safety. Whatever it is mm-hmm. that you're super passionate about that you think we don't do a good enough job today in your own institution, your own practice and experience. And that can be done as an intern. It can even be done as a student. Sure. And so to try to keep a log of what you're interested in. And, and as a resident, quite frankly, it's hard to find the time to address these. But as you go through the years, you start to think about ways that you can make an impact, ways you can improve. And so what we do, and I have the good fortune of meeting with all our residents really as PGY2s and just have exploratory conversations about what excites them, what types of things they want to do in their career to make an impact and then meet with them again as PGY3s, and then PGY4 really try to establish a game plan for how are they going to use their elective time, their last three years of residency, to really get the biggest bang for their buck and try to uh, sort of direct them to appropriate mentors or opportunities. And if they're interested in the research types of opportunities that I'm involved in, try to say, okay, what types of questions you want to study? What types of skill sets? Where do you see your research going in? The beauty of our residency is that our, our learners don't need to work with faculty within our department. You know, we're part of a wonderful uh, uh, institution and they can go well outside of the department and gain the skill set. So try to pair them with research mentors and also help them get involved with the early grant writing opportunities, get involved with lab meetings before their formal research time so they can hit the ground running but it truly is an individualized uh, dialogue with each of the residents to get them to the sort of the environment that's going to be most meaningful for their success. So um, for the residents, what what would they or what should they expect from their teachers or from those directing them? Uh, you mentioned some of it just now. Anything else to uh, uh, strike your mind? Yeah, definitely. I, th- I think that, uh, you know, the mentor-mentee relationship is one of the greatest responsibilities we have as neurosurgeons. And uh, really, I think uh, uh, there's certain fundamental, I think, obligations a mentor would have. And, and number one, to support and enable uh, the learning and career of the mentee in a way that's uh, not just self-directed for the mentor's benefit, but ideally... Right to allow the mentee to establish and reach the goals that they have for themselves. And so I think this is built on uh, honest conversations, uh, uh, openness, uh, and uh, a sense of um, uh, uh, freedom of exploration, which I think is one of the beautiful things about science and research is, is that creativity. And I think it's also important to have a pathway that allows residents to show an accumulation of body of work in the lab, similar to building up a clinical repertoire and skill set that they have in the in the surgical arena, in the clinical arena, and allow them to hopefully have a body of work that they can take claim to, move on as their own in their own careers, and and build upon if if that's what they wish to do. And so, I think uh, for folks working with us in the research realm, we do try to carve out projects that they can take on into their own careers and push forward in ways that they find exciting once they graduate from the program. Yeah, that's that's huge. And I think that you know, what I take from that is the the um, uh, the lab mentors shouldn't necessarily just look at residents as, as one of their assistants. You know, you you talk that's to correct. the resident, figure out what they want to do and and help them sort of navigate the process. 
Correct, correct. You know, residency has a lot of uh, service-related aspects, service to patients, service to the department and others. And we really feel like this elective time, particularly in the, in the laboratories, an opportunity to sort of maybe shift that paradigm and say that, you know, we as mentors have a bit of a service obligation to you as someone in the lab to help uh, fulfill your scientific and creative obligations and interests. By now, you must have seen um, some of your residents go on to pretty pretty uh, spectacular careers or, or at least a start of a of an investigative career absolutely and I think that's some of the most rewarding uh, uh, aspects of being in, uh, in academic medicine and, and and sometimes it's it's residents who initially came in thinking they would never do laboratory-based yeah. work or, 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 you know, investigations and thought they would be full-time clinical neurosurgeons, which would have been great. But then uh, a spark is uh, ignited and, and they really push it forward and they get NIH funding early on and they do beautiful work and they launch their own laboratory and are really, you know, the par paradigmatic surgeon scientists or clinician scientists in their own careers. And so, uh, we've been fortunate to have some stay at Hopkins and many have gone on to do incredible work at other institutions. And so just following them, uh, I think, has been one of the most um, uh, rewarding aspects of, of my professional career. Yeah, I, you know, I'm a, uh, although I'm not a, a basic scientist, uh, um, I, I did spend two years in the lab, protected time in the lab during my residency. And I, I really have a strong belief that, uh, all neurosurgery residents need some time, you know, investigating uh, in the lab as, uh, you know, hanging, hanging around uh, alongside a basic scientist just to, to see, you know, to, to see what happens, how, how, uh, you know, these sorts of, uh, of investigations and discoveries are, are made. I mean, they're really, it, it's, it's fairly ephemeral if you haven't uh, been there seeing the nitty gritty and, and, you know, performing the, Western blots and things like that uh, by yourself, you know, without, without being there, it's hard to, uh, hard to imagine. And then it would be hard to, uh, to make the, the kinds of progress that you're talking about, not knowing how it's, uh, how the, the work is actually done, you know? No, I think that's well said, Paul. I share that same sort of perspective. And I think it's important because we as neurosurgeons have insights into neurological disorders and, and health that really no other medical specialties right. have insights into. And this is in no way to disrespect other fields, but what we do is so unique and so privileged that if we as neurosurgeons don't take the lead in yeah. initiating these discoveries and these scientific investigations, and it doesn't mean that we have to be the ones at the lab, but we can collaborate with the basic scientists or the translational scientists. Sure. And they in my experience, love to work with us because we bring this unique perspective that's so different from any other clinical specialty. And so I do think that having these residents get exposure to the way science is done enables them to at least be extraordinary collaborators of science, if not enablers of their own scientific work. Yeah, we, we know the questions, you know, the the, the clinical questions. And, you know, like Absolutely. I said, it's, it's Something that you uh, that you see on I see on a weekly basis. You know what is this we're looking at? Isn't there a way we could uh, more easily figure out uh, figure out what to do? So, do you have any tips uh, for teachers in the lab for young um, faculty or you know career mid, mid career faculty that are leading residents along this path? Yeah, you know I I think the biggest uh, piece of advice I'd have is to continue to. Um, remember what it was like to be early in your career. So have a lot of patience and understanding and really latitude to allow 
uh, our residents to explore uh, what they're interested in scientifically, because I think that that sort of freedom allows them to gain skill sets, allows them to succeed, but also fail, learn from those failures. And so I, I think definitely, um, you know, allowing uh, uh, greater autonomy and freedom, I think, is something that I've really found to be a rewarding um, sort of trait as, as we mentor our residents through the laboratory experience. One last question. Um, if you had a crystal ball, uh, what would you say, how long is it going to take before we can do a, a liquid liquid brain biopsy uh, to help us out in our tumor boards? Yeah, that's a great question, Paul. I'm, I'm hoping 12 months or less. That's wow. my prediction. That is huge. 2024, I'm hoping that there'll be something in the well, Congratulations and spectacular work that you've done. Uh, and, and again, another last question, uh, Ravens or Orioles? <laughs> I got to go Ravens. You know, we made yeah. the playoffs with the Orioles this year, but uh, they've been struggling for so long. It's, it's tough. It's it tough. Is so tough. I was hoping the Orioles were going to do it. I really, I was literally going to fly back if they were, if they made it, uh, made it uh, a few more uh, uh, games deep into the playoffs. Absolutely. Hopefully next year will be a better year for us. You bet. All right. Thanks so much for being here, Jason. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Paul. Always a pleasure to see you. And thanks so much for the opportunity. You bet. Dr. Chathan Benegauda from Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine was our guest today on the It's Not Brain Surgery podcast. Stay tuned next week for another exciting episode. Thanks. Thanks.